y'all. Welcome to the first episode of Tejana Feminist Talks, a podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lopez. Thank you so, so much for listening today. Just a friendly reminder that we do have two goals here. The first is to learn about topics within social justice, and the second is to unlearn harmful ways of thinking and behaviors. Um, Like I mentioned in the introductory episode, this is an ongoing process and it requires a level of vulnerability. So I expect us all to hold ourselves and each other accountable. Um, I highly recommend listening to that introductory episode just so you can get to know me and have an idea of why I decided to start this project now. In today's episode, we will be talking about reproductive justice. I plan on revisiting this in the future and focusing in on the various components of reproductive justice so i would consider this an introduction whether you're familiar with reproductive justice have never heard of it or have used the term before i hope you're able to learn something in our short time together so if you're interested then please keep on listening so as someone who has participated in and facilitated reproductive justice 101 trainings in the past i think a good way to remember What reproductive justice is, is through the following equation. Um, So reproductive rights plus social justice equals reproductive justice. So in 1994, 12 black women in Chicago came together at a pro-choice conference. Their names are Tony M. Bond, Reverend Alma Crawford, Evelyn S. Field, Terry James, Bizola Maringay, Cassandra McConnell, Cynthia Newbile, Loretta J. Ross, Elizabeth Terry, Abel Mabel Thomas, Wynette P. Willis, and Kim Youngblood. Now the reason this group of black women came together was because they felt that the needs of their communities were not being met. So in other words, abortion care was a resource that they believed was important but they also wanted healthcare and access to better education and jobs and to have the right to parent. Uh, This group later called themselves Women of African Descent for Reproductive Justice. Um, While this idea has been a life for centuries, the term itself was coined in 1994. So I'm gonna give a brief reproductive justice history um, and then I'll actually talk about what exactly it is. They actually went on to challenge the administration at the time, which was Clinton, um, and they took out this ad called the Black Women on Healthcare Reform, which had the support of over 800 black women, including people like Angela Davis, which is really cool. Uh, This should not be confused with the 1989 pamphlet we remember, which essentially outlined 11 tenets of reproductive freedom. After three years of doing this work, Sister Song was formed in 1997. And this organization is made up of other women of color organizations that all fight for reproductive justice. And it's alive and well today. So I highly, highly recommend looking into Sister Song. Now we can break that down into three tenets with the overarching theme of bodily autonomy. So tenet one, is that people should be able to decide to have children and the conditions for which they will do so. Now that I have laid the groundwork for how reproductive justice was coined 
and the organizing that came with it, I went to give everyone Sister Song's definition, which you can find on their website. It goes as follows. Reproductive justice is the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. And this can mean a lot of things. For example, will someone have a hospital birth or an at-home birth? Where there, will there be a midwife present or a doula present? And this is really important because oftentimes pregnant people are denied bodily autonomy. And we see this in a lot of cases such as um, where people are incarcerated and pregnant and are shackled during birth. Um, when people are forced to undergo C-sections despite not wanting them and or not needing them. And even when pregnant people are criminalized for miscarrying, which is actually something that happens quite often that I was unaware of until pretty recently. And for that last one, I highly recommend looking into National Advocates for Pregnant Women because they do such amazing work regarding this. Moving on to Tenant 2, which states that people have the right to prevent or end a pregnancy and decide the conditions for this. And the second aspect to that is terminating pregnancies or abortion access. So we have like two like subsections, I guess, of abortions. We have pills, which is mifepristone and misoprostol, and then in-clinic procedures. Um, so you have a vacuum aspiration versus a DNE, which is dilation and evacuation. So being able to decide if you can, what kind of abortion you have is important, as is deciding who will be present. So will you have an abortion doula, a partner, a family member, a trusted friend, or just someone that you know can help you? So when we talk about preventing pregnancies, this deals a lot with access to contraceptives. So people should be able to decide what they use to prevent pregnancies. And this decision is very important because sterilization and coercion have been very big problems in our communities for many years. And I will talk about this later. Um, but everyone should be given the tools to do their own research regarding birth control options. And birth control should not be forced onto anyone by anyone and this is something that I really wish I knew when I was younger because oftentimes I just let my healthcare providers make these choices for me without being informed myself. It's also important to remember that while legality is beneficial, not criminalizing or viewing self-managed abortions as evil is also important, meaning that they aren't going to a clinic um, for whatever reason. You know, there are various barriers or circumstances um, that may prevent someone from being able to access a clinic or just not wanting to. And people have been doing this for centuries. So that's another thing to point out. Um, Self-managed abortions are very simply just that, an abortion that someone um, performs on themselves. So. I want to break down the differences between reproductive rights, reproductive health, and reproductive justice. And I think this is really important because oftentimes um, I'll hear people use these interchangeably, especially reproductive rights and justice. And I really want folks to understand 
that they're not the same thing and knowing this is very important. So we'll start with reproductive rights. And then we have tenant three, the right to parent in safe and healthy environments. So what this entails is basically having the right to raise children without fear of violence from individuals or the government. Um, people should have access to the resources they need to live successful lives. And this component actually encompasses a lot of different things such as police abolition. Um, so we see how police coming into neighborhoods and terrorizing families is a very big issue. Same with like ICE um, and then just prisons in general and how families are torn apart. Um, we also have immigration justice, environmental justice. So a lot of the times low income communities um, tend to be where there's a lot of toxins in the environment, not clean water as we've seen with Flint. Um, having affordable and accessible healthcare is also something that is encompassed in this third tenant. Um, as is free education and community care. So reproductive justice is abortion access, but it's also much more than that. So I hope that by me breaking down these tenets, you kind of have an idea of why reproductive justice is important and in what ways reproductive justice is important in your life. All that to say that tenant one essentially states that pregnant people should be able to make their own choices regarding their bodies and how they want to give birth. Reproductive rights focuses a lot on keeping abortion legal. However, just because something is legal does not mean it is accessible. In the past, the reproductive rights movement did focus on the needs of middle-class white women, which meant that women of color and communities of color um, did not have their needs met, hence reproductive justice. And today we see reproductive rights organizations working to pass bills that help make reproductive rights accessible or working to stop bills that are put in place as barriers. And some key laws to know are obviously Roe v. Wade, which passed in 1973 and made abortion legal. Um, and then a bit of a counter law, which would be the Hyde Amendment. Um, and this was passed in 1976 and essentially it prohibits um, federal funds being used on abortions. And this law in itself is a barrier because if you can't afford an abortion, then it being legal does not really matter. You don't have access to this, um, which like I mentioned earlier is why making services accessible to people is extremely important and fundamental in reproductive justice. Now, moving on to reproductive health. Reproductive health basically encompasses direct health services. So here we have abortions and abortion providers, as well as contraceptives and other services like hormone replacement therapy, HIV testing, PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis, as well as comprehensive sex education. Some reproductive rights organizations include the ACLU, as well as your local NARAL pro-choice. For a lot of people, they've never even had a sex education to begin with, 
So there are reproductive health organizations that are trying very hard to make this information accessible. Um, for a lot of people like myself when I was younger I got a lot of my sex education through the Planned Parenthood website instead of through my school or my family. And with that being said, key reproductive health organizations do include Planned Parenthood um, as well as Title X clinics. And I want to make the point that reproductive health organizations and clinics should not be confused with crisis pregnancy centers. Crisis pregnancy centers are fake clinics that essentially lure people looking for abortions in with fake promises. They tend to be associated with religious institutions um, and they're not great whatsoever, but I think that's a whole other episode. And lastly, we have reproductive justice. So reproductive justice entails bodily autonomy and access to live healthy and successful lives, like I mentioned before. So this means that organizations that fall under reproductive justice are by and for communities of color. So they may focus on abortion access, food security, environmental justice, or even LGBTQ plus liberation. These organizations include Sister Song, Color, or the Colorado Organization for Latino Opportunity and Reproductive Rights, Urge, Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equity, and Spark Reproductive Justice Now, to name a few. Um, it's also important to note that reproductive justice can be used as a framework. So what this means is that one would revisit the tenets and implement them in the work that you're doing. And I believe that this is actually something that organizations that are not by and for people of color should be doing. I highly recommend um, that you look into local organizations that do similar work in your community and maybe figure out which one or ones they fall under. I think that's really cool to see the type of work that our own organizations are doing and it's a really good way to get involved. So um, let's take a quick break and then I'll be back to discuss history regarding reproductive coercion. So see you in a bit. So the reason I wanted to point out the differences between these three is because the differences are very important and also we should not invalidate the journey and origins of reproductive justice as it did come from a sense of urgency and need in communities that were not being taken into account. Um, as I mentioned before, just because abortion is legal does not make it accessible. And while abortion is a very important component of reproductive justice, there are so many other necessities within our communities that we need. Last thing I wanna point out is that organizations can be a combination of the above and many are so some organizations have specific branches that focus on policy and reproductive rights um, while offering direct health services and even having um, programs that deal with reproductive justice tenants. And all of that is great. Okay, I have returned with my coffee in hand to talk about the history of reproductive coercion. Um, this is a long one, but I will try to be brief in this just 
to kind of make the point that at different times in our history, different groups of people were either coerced into having children or coerced into not having children. Um, recently, I read Reproductive Justice and Introduction, which is a book by Loretta J. Ross and Ricky Sollinger. And I think this is a really, really good book just because it outlines the history of reproductive justice more in depth, as well as reproductive coercion, um, and even goes into present day, like what different organizations are doing. So a recommended read. There's a section in the book about colonization, and I really want to talk about um, some of the points that were made because I think they're very important in understanding what I mentioned earlier about who is coerced into having children and who is not. So during colonization, white European colonizers wanted to grow their population um, in order to establish their own quote-unquote territories. So they used population control tactics, such as lowering the population of indigenous peoples, as well as increasing the population of enslaved African peoples um, so that they could be used for free labor. So when we talk about indigenous people, this includes like the massacre of villages, the way Christian missionaries terrorized native peoples by enforcing these like patriarchal ideas onto them especially nations that were matriarchal. Um, and then later, um, I think most people are aware of the way Native children were taken away from their families and put into Christian boarding schools and were assimilated um, by being forced to only speak English and forced into Christianity. Um, and for enslaved African peoples, um, we know the way that they were used for labor as well as the way they were forced to have children and continue this like endless cycle of enslavement because if you have a child and you yourself are enslaved then this is what they are born into. So it's important to be familiar with these acts of reproductive coercion during colonization but I also want to point out um, some really interesting things I learned. So in the beginning of the 1800s, white women's fertility was seen as more important, mainly because um, they were seen as like carrying white children and therefore continuing a white supremacist nation. And this sounds really terrible because it is. And it also like brings up this point of whose fertility was valued at this point in time. Um, white people were seen as, once again, like the same way that um, was happening during colonization. It was like, we want to grow the population. We want to establish our own quote unquote territories. So yeah. Um, and then fast forward to the 20th century, we had a rise of sterilization racism and eugenics. And although eugenics was not new in the 20th century, um, it was more blatant, I want to say. So the first birth control pill was actually tested on Puerto Rican women. Um, and if you were not aware, it actually caused many Puerto Rican women to become sterile, meaning they could not have children. 
Um, and sterilization has happened to various groups of people, including, including Latinx people and Native peoples, um, all without their consent. And a lot of the times this actually happened while they were getting a different procedure done. So, so let's say you're going in for a procedure um, because you have appendicitis, so you're getting your appendix removed, and you come out and you have also had a hysterectomy. Like, what? You know, that is clearly a violation of your bodily autonomy, but people of color were just completely disregarded. And like I said, this is just a big example of like eugenics. In the 20th century, we also had the Supreme Court case Griswold v. Connecticut. Um, this was in 1965, I believe. And this essentially ended the Comstock Act of 1873, which criminalized contraception. So, like, no more criminalization um, regarding using birth control, but also birth control is being tested on people, and some people are being coerced and sterilized without their consent. So, as you can see, that's why it's, like, really important to, like, be able to make your own decisions because yes not having contraception criminalized is good but like at what cost um and then we also have the passing of roe v wade in 1973 like i mentioned earlier what does legalization mean when access is a problem um and this is still a very relevant question that is asked today so i highly recommend reading Reproductive Justice and Introduction, just as I highly recommend all the other things I mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, this is a really good book. It is divided into sections and then subsections that go more in depth into various things. I like have my book and it's all like um, written on and like there's like tabs made, but yeah, really good stuff. So do read. So, RJ Today, um, reproductive justice today still means fighting for abortion access. I live in Texas, so we have many barriers to um, abortions. And a fact that I want to share with everyone is that before 2013, there were more than 40 abortion clinics. Now there are 22 that remain open or at least 22 as of November 2019. Um, I will link an article in the description that talks more about this. But in 2013, there was a series of bills um, that were passed that are called trap laws or targeted restrictions on abortion providers, which essentially make being able to uh, perform abortions like even more difficult. Um, HB2 is one of the anti-abortion bills um, that passed and this included um, this like additional barrier that all abortions must be performed in an ambulatory surgical center, which is like not necessary, but like I mentioned, it's just a barrier. It's put in place so that people don't have access to abortions. Um, and that's all terrible stuff, obviously. 
Um, but there are ways that you can help. So a way for people to fight a lack of access is by donating or becoming involved with an abortion fund. So NAF or the National Network of Abortion Funds is really cool. Um, there are local ones and you can find your local one at abortionfunds.org and essentially what an abortion fund is is an organization that raises money to provide people um, with the financial means in order for them to get an abortion. So abortions can be expensive um, and not only the procedure itself but also all the other um, logistical things that go into into um, accessing one. So having to take time off work means loss of wages. Um, if you have other children, that may mean having to get childcare for them. If you're in a state where there's not a lot of abortion clinics, that may mean traveling um, and hotel. So these abortion funds essentially help people um, by directly giving them money so that they're able to get this procedure done. Um, and I also want to say that reproductive justice is also fighting for various other things, such as sex workers' rights, disability justice, I mentioned prison abolition and police abolition, as well as the abolition of ICE, um, food justice and comprehensive sex education. I mean, there are people within the movement everywhere, and there are so many ways to get involved. Um, so yeah, I also want people to know that involvement is like really essential. So, you know, mention the abortion funds, but also maybe finding people who are already organizing in your community or joining a digital campaign. Advocates for Youth um, always has really cool campaigns to join. Um, following a bunch of these organizations on social media is like a good way to figure out when and where you can, you know, get involved with them. And as I'm wrapping up, I want to talk a little bit about um, liberation. So last year I was on a panel and the theme was liberation. And this is kind of how I view reproductive justice today. So I ask myself, what does liberation look like for all of us? Um, if you're listening to this like current day when it comes out, um, then you know that free and accessible healthcare is so important. And this obviously includes abortion um, access, but it also includes like just people being able to like go to the hospital or the doctor if they need something, um, if something's not right and them not having to worry about like the financial strain that will have on them. Um, as someone whose sibling was in, is currently in and out of the hospital, um, I have seen like how stressful it is for our family to have to deal with that. And so for me personally, accessible, free healthcare is like what I see within liberation. I also think about community care and like the ways that my community would benefit from never having to call the police again. Um, 
as well as knowing how to deal with trauma together um, and how to hold people who cause harm accountable. So I just really want to ask you to think about liberation. Think about what it looks like to you. What's the first thing that comes to mind? You know, you can write this down, keep it in your thoughts, whatever you need. But hold on to this thought because personally, this is something that fuels me to keep fighting and to not give up and to find various ways to continue the fight. Um, There's people who organize within communities, who organize on campuses, um, who do digital organizing, like there's just so much stuff to do. Um, And so, you know, think, think about what liberation looks like for you and for your community and don't like lose sight of that. that's all I have folks um thank you so much for listening to this first episode of the Tejana Feminist Talks podcast um I want to give a big thank you to Olivia Najera for making the cool logo for me she's super cool great amazing check out her art instagram at prisma.live um so at p-r-i-s-m-a dot l-i-v I'm really excited for the future of this podcast. Um, I kept telling myself like so many things that kind of stopped me from doing this. So I'm glad I finally, you know, decided to just go ahead and get it done. Like I don't have the proper equipment. Y'all would laugh if you saw my setup. Like I'm currently sitting in my bathroom because it's like super quiet and I have like a mini table and a chair in here. Um, But you know what? We're we're doing stuff we're getting it done um with all this stuff going on in the world i don't think it hurts to like take a chance on something that you really want to do so that's all i have for you today thank you once again for listening take care of yourself take care of each other and you will be hearing from me very soon so see y'all next time bye y'all